the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Very glad to be able to be with you today. Georgine is taking some well-deserved time away, and it's my privilege today to be one of the several guest hosts invited to fill in for her. My name is Greg Allen, and I'm pastor of Bethany Bible Church in the Bethany community of West Portland. It's been my privilege to serve as the pastor there for what is, as of just a couple of months ago, 30 years now. I also serve as an adjunct professor of homiletics at Multnomah Biblical Seminary. Homiletics, for those of you who don't know, is a fancy word for preaching, and so I get to teach the preaching classes. And I've been the guest and a guest host on a few occasions in the past, so I'm very glad to be able to have the opportunity to be back with you again today. Just a word of thanks to James Blend, the producer, for inviting me to be with you today, and my new friend Sam Sam Maupin, who is our engineer. Now, no one is more gifted and better qualified to talk about current events and politics than Georgine. She always brings a clear biblical perspective to what's going on in this world, and I'd never try to dare do what she does so well. But when I'm given the opportunity to be with you, I like going, as it were, into the kind of subjects that help us to live the kind of Christian life that keeps us living above all that's going on in this world. And that's what I'd like to do today. It's uh, something that I would like to do as a a pastor. So here I am. Hope that you'll let me be your pastor this afternoon. Today I'd like to talk with you about one of the most important resources God the Father has given to us to empower us for living for his son Jesus in the midst of this world. In fact, it is biblically correct to say that this is a powerful resource that has been sent to us by both the Heavenly Father and his Son. We simply cannot do without this resource. This powerful, unlimited, blessed, indispensable resource is a person. He is the Holy Spirit, who has been sent by the Father and the Son to take up residence in every believer and to empower him or her to live the life of Jesus on this earth. And that's what I'd like to talk with you about today, the ministry the work, the identity of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's a sad fact that whenever someone says they want to talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, people often tense up just a little bit, maybe even become a little defensive because you can't be quite sure where someone might be taking you in the discussion. There have been a lot of divisions and contentions within the household of faith over the whole subject of the Holy Spirit, and I think that's rather unfortunate. The Holy Spirit, after all, has been given to us as believers to be our great helper and to bind us together in one body. And if there are divisive theological fights and battles over the Holy Spirit within Jesus' bride, the church family, I'd 
wonder if it's a clue that the Holy Spirit himself has been left out of the discussion somehow. Uh, He unites us as believers. He doesn't divide us. So in talking with you about the Holy Spirit, exploring with you today who he is and what he does for us, I want to promise you that I will do my best to avoid any unnecessary controversial matters. I want to stick to the kind of things about which sincere Bible-believing Christians have almost always been in agreement about. And if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, my goal in all of this today is to lift your heart with the ministry of this blessed divine helper and to encourage you to give yourself over more than you ever have before to his blessed guidance and help, especially in this dark and fallen world in which we live. Now, to begin our time, kind of to begin our thinking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, I'd like to start by telling you a story from the Old Testament. Uh, To my mind, it's a story that illustrates wonderfully what the Holy Spirit's ministry in us as believers is like. As we journey on this earth to heavenly glory, it's a story uh, that helps us understand his role. It's a story from the life of the Old Testament patriarch Abraham. Abraham, you remember, was a man called out of a foreign land and promised to make a, uh, be made into a great nation. And For many years, he lived in the land of Canaan as a childless old man. But one day, God kept his promise and gave him a son named Isaac. Time came for aged old Abraham to get a wife for his son. He didn't want to make the trip himself, so he sent his servant to go to the land of his origin to find a wife. And he went to the land of Haran in Mesopotamia. That's a long trip. It was about 350, 400 miles on camel to get a wife for Isaac uh, from his relatives. And Eliezer made a promise that he would do this, so he went all of that distance and he made a prayer to God. He said, Lord, uh, here I am in this city. The first woman who comes along to draw well from the water, uh, if she says, let me draw water also for your camels, let her be the woman that God has given for my, sir, my master's son. And long story short, uh, Rebecca was that woman. Now, just think about the journey back to Canaan. It's a lot like your and my journey on earth. She was being asked, after all, to place herself by faith under the care of someone she'd never met before. He took her on a long journey, and all along the way, he told her about her future husband. He gave her gifts from the riches of Abraham, uh, instructed her and protected her, and then finally he brought her to Isaac. And it's a remarkable love story. This is in Genesis chapter 24, by the way. But it's also a picture of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our life right now. God the Father brought a, got a, a bride for his son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit was sent to bring us as Jesus' bride safely in this life on earth to Jesus in heavenly glory. Just like Rebecca, we're asked to trust the guidance and care of the Holy Spirit as he leads us back to our eternal home, teaches us about Jesus, helps us to understand what he's like, and helps us to be prepared to meet this bridegroom that we'd never met before, but we love. You know, it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, uh, 1 Peter 1 uh, in that chapter, it says, in this, in the, the inheritance that we're waiting for in Christ, you rejoice greatly. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, 
perishes that perishes though it's tested by fire may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ whom having not seen you love and though now you do not see him yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible full of glory receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls hey the holy spirit keeps us for that bridegroom whom we haven't seen but whom we love he protects us and encourages us and helps us to grow more and more in love with him till the day we finally meet him that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When we come back from the break, let's talk some more about who the Holy Spirit is. I'm your guest host, Pastor Greg Allen of Bethany Bible Church, and you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hello and welcome back to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm your guest host, Pastor Greg Allen of Bethany Bible Church, and we are talking today about our great helper in living the Christian life, the Holy Spirit. Now, I need to tell you that when I first became a Christian, I really had no idea who the Holy Spirit was. I hadn't grown up in a Christian home. I hadn't had any kind of Christian influence or teaching. After trusting Jesus as my Savior, I started attending a church nearby where I grew up, and I heard about the Holy Spirit mentioned. I sometimes heard the pastor talk about the Holy Ghost. I eventually figured out somewhere along the way that he's talking about the Holy Spirit under a different name. And I certainly felt the influence of the Holy Spirit in my life, but I came into it all without any real understanding of what the Bible teaches about him. I hope I don't sound irreverent in telling you this, but for the longest time, I honestly thought people were talking about when they talked about the Holy Spirit, they're talking about a kind of attitude. I thought, you know, I grew up in high school at the time, and I knew that what having school spirit meant, and I, I thought people were talking about being excited about being holy, and I was all for that. But I'm grateful now today over time the Holy Spirit himself has lovingly helped me to understand from the Bible who he is. Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit is not a thing or an attitude or an impersonal force. He is a person. He has all the qualities that are necessary for a person. Uh, let me just throw some Bible verses your way. For example, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit exercises intelligence. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, we're told the Holy Spirit has a mind that can search and know things. He says, Paul says, For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man within him? Even so... No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is able to know things and teach and communicate. Uh, Paul said that he spoke in words not with man's wisdom, but uh, which the Holy Spirit teaches. Not only a person can have a mind that teaches with intelligence, you see. The Holy Spirit also has a will or a volition. He makes choices. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, the, whole, the Apostle Paul was talking about spiritual gifts. And he said, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit made choices about who he would send as missionaries. And again, only a person can have a will and make choices. The Holy Spirit also displays emotions. The Bible tells us that he has feelings. Think about Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, where we're told not to let unwholesome words come out of our mouth. And it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Or think of what the pastor James wrote in James chapter 4 when he urges not to become too aligned with this world, saying, Or do you think that the Scriptures say in vain, The Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Well, only a 
a person can have those kind of emotions. And you know, over time, as I grew as a Christian, I grew to learn to appreciate this very important truth about the Holy Spirit. It's an important truth for us to remember as believers. The Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force that we can get a hold of and manipulate and use for our own wishes. Rather, he is a person, a divine person, who is infinitely wise, who is absolutely sovereign, who is deeply in love with us, and who is also grieved when we sin. He leads us and teaches us and guides us for the cause of Jesus Christ our Lord. We must not try to use him. Instead, the right attitude is to let him use us. Now, I just said that he's a divine person, and that's another great truth uh, that we learn from the Bible, that he's a divine person. Uh, The Bible teaches us that he uh, teaches us about him in the context of the mystery of the Trinity. It's hard for poor human minds like ours to grasp the majesty of the triune Godhead, that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three persons and one in substance but distinct in individual existence, all exist eternally, but one God. The triune nature of God is something that can only be known by God's gracious revelation. And even then it took a long time for theologians to understand that. Well, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is like that. We're taught that he is deity. He is also God. He is a member of the Trinity, which is something that humankind has not always understood, but the Bible evidence is there. Think about uh, the things that were told uh, about uh, the Bible, about the Holy Spirit. They can only be told about things that are true of God. For example, he is said to be omniscient. That's, that means all-knowing. When it comes to the great truths of the faith, things which human minds could not grasp, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 11 says, But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man can know the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one can know the things of God except the Spirit of God. And only a divine person can know such things. We're also told that the Holy Spirit is omniscient, or excuse me, omnipresent. That is, everywhere present. There's not a place anywhere that anyone could ever go and not be in the Holy Spirit's presence. In Psalm 139, verse 7, maybe you know this verse, King David prayed to God and said, Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? Only a divine person can be omnipresent. He's even said to be omnipotent. That means all-powerful with respect to the workings of God, so that the things that God does are also said to be done by his spirit. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, we're told, God says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, and only a divine person can do the works of God. The actions that the Bible says the Holy Spirit has performed are things that can only be done by God. The Holy Spirit, for example, was involved in the creation of the world. Think of that. It says at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1-2, that at creation, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And in Psalm 104, verse 30, the psalmist praised God for the living things of this world, saying, you send forth your spirit, and they are created. And just think about the marvel of the conception of our Lord in the womb of Mary. What a mystery. Well, it tells us in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, that Joseph was told by the angel that that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. 
The Son of God in his incarnation was conceived in human flesh by the Holy Spirit. And similarly, in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, Mary herself was told by the angel, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, and therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And by definition, it is only through someone who is divine that the Son of God can be conceived. So the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus was conceived in the Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit, a divine person. Or think of what the Bible itself tells us about itself, the Word of God. We're told in 2 Timothy 3 that all Scripture is God-breathed. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter affirms that prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men spoke of God as they were moved the holy, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And my point is that only a divine person can give us the word of God in that way. The word Trinity itself is not found in the Bible. I don't know if you knew that. But clearly, the Holy Spirit is spoken of as in complete union with the Father and the Son. Think about how in Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus was baptized, we were told that the Heavenly Father declared, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that the Holy Spirit then descended upon him in the form of a dove. All three persons were there at the baptism of Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or think of how in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, Jesus commanded us to make disciples, and he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Or you can think, too, about how the Apostle Paul closed off one of his letters in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 by saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You see how these, uh, the Spirit is mentioned in the Trinity. So then the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He's a person. We don't use him. Instead, we submit ourselves to him to be used by him. But he's also a divine person, fully God. And we don't ever need to fear or ever in any way be hesitant in giving ourselves over completely to him for his use. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good, and he will only do what is good for us and through us and in us. Now, when we come back from the break, let's consider some of the things that the Lord Jesus himself told us about this wonderful helper, the Holy Spirit. I'm your guest host, Pastor Greg Allen of Bethany Bible Church, and you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm today's guest host, Pastor Greg Allen of Bethany Bible Church, and we've been thinking together today about our great helper in living the Christian life, the Holy Spirit. Whenever we talk about a great subject like the Holy Spirit, a subject is absolutely vital to our Christian life. I think it's wise to learn from the very best sources that we can go to. And in this and the next segments of our time together, I'd like us to go to the highest and most trustworthy authority on the Holy Spirit that there is, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, no one could teach us more about the Holy Spirit than the Lord Jesus. No one could teach us better about one divine person of the Trinity than another person of the Trinity. And Jesus taught us many things about the Holy Spirit in the Gospels. But you know, it's interesting that most of what he taught us about the Holy Spirit was upon one remarkable occasion. 
And that was on the night just before he went to the cross in what we often call the upper room discourse. That's when he had that last supper with his disciples. I believe that the timing of that's rather important because uh, Jesus had been with his disciples for three and a half years. They had given up everything to follow him. And it was during that important evening with them that he gave them the shocking announcement that he was about to leave them. And they were very upset at this news, understandably so. But it was then that he let them know that he wasn't leaving them abandoned. He would send the Holy Spirit to them. And today, with our Lord's ascended to the right hand of the Father, we who are Jesus' followers live under the ministry and the care of the Holy Spirit that he sent for us. So what did he tell those disciples on that evening about the Holy Spirit? This is in John chapters 14 through 16. The first thing that the Lord Jesus told them about the Holy Spirit was that he's the helper of Jesus' followers. We find this in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. Let me read it to you. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you with you, and will be in you. He said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The name that Jesus used to refer to the Holy Spirit in this passage is helper, the helper. And in the original language, that word refers to someone who comes alongside someone else as their advocate or as their comforter. Jesus was saying that the Holy Spirit is the divine person who is called alongside us as we dwell on this earth, serving as our helper, while Jesus is apart from us, providing for us what Jesus would provide for us if he were here bodily in our presence. And you know, there's another amazing thing you need to know about this. Jesus called the Holy Spirit another helper. You notice that? And in the particular Greek word that he used for another, it's very important. The ordinary word for another is, forgive me for the Greek lesson here, it's heteros, which would mean another of a different kind. But the word that Jesus used in this case is alos, which means another of the same kind. Now, I have a black gel pen in my hand. I wish I could be on television. I could show it to you. But I have a a black gel pen. It's a writing instrument. And if I had a yellow number two pencil on the other hand, I would have another of a different kind, right? Okay. But if I have a particular kind of black gel pen in one hand and I have the same exact kind of black gel pen in the other hand, then I'd have another of the same kind. And that's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would be to us, another helper of the same exact kind. Jesus was a great helper to his disciples while he was on this earth, but he was going away. And he would send the Holy Spirit in his place, who was another helper of exactly the same kind as he was. In fact, the Holy Spirit is so much of a helper like Jesus to us that Jesus could tell them, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And dear brothers and sisters in Christ, just think of how differently you and I would live today if we knew that we were in the continually supportive, constantly empowering, ever delightful bodily presence of Jesus himself. We would always have confidence, wouldn't we? We wouldn't be afraid of anything. We'd always have joy. Well, Jesus has taught us in this passage that if we have trusted him as our Savior, then we already have such a helper continually with us, so close to us as to actually be said by Jesus to have taken up permanent residence in us, just as divine, 
just as powerful, just as wise, just as loving, just as comforting, and just as holy as Jesus himself. Jesus sent us another helper like himself, the Holy Spirit. Now, another thing that Jesus said during that evening meal was that the Holy Spirit he would send would be the protector of the truth. We find what Jesus said about this in John chapter 14, verses 25 through 26. He told his disciples, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now, when Jesus said this, he wasn't talking to everyone. He was specifically directing these, this promise to his apostles. Afterwards, after all, it could only be to them that he could say these things that have spoken to you while being present with you, right? So this is particularly a promise that the Holy Spirit would minister in a particular way to the apostles. But think about what he said to them. He said that the Father would send the Holy Spirit in my name, that is, as Jesus' divine representative, and that the Spirit would teach the apostles all things and would bring all things to their remembrance, all the things that Jesus said to them. Just think about all the things that Jesus taught. And, you know, there's one gospel that tells us that if it had all been written down, the world couldn't hold the books. And just think of how easily the apostles could have forgotten some of the things that they needed to know or could have left some important details out or, or could have misrepresented things in their memory, things that are vital for our salvation and for our well-being. How could we be assured that the written Gospels in the New Testament letters are accurate representations of what Jesus wanted us to know? Well, it's all thanks to the infallible teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus sent to the apostles. Because of this aspect of the Spirit's ministry, protecting and guiding the apostles and their witness, you and I can wholly trust our Bible and rest our eternal destiny on what it teaches us. And speaking of that witness, a third thing that Jesus taught us about the Holy Spirit on that evening was that he would be the bearer of that witness with and through Jesus' followers. The Lord Jesus uh, teaching about this aspect of the Holy Spirit is in John chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. He said, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. He and us together. You know, in and of themselves, those apostles, those mere human beings, couldn't hope to be a bear witness faithfully to the Lord Jesus in this world. They had all once abandoned him and had, and at his betrayal. You remember that? And afterwards, they went into hiding for fear of their lives. Uh, we wouldn't do any better, by the way. But Jesus had made this promise to them after his resurrection, before he ascended to the Father. He said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That was in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus even urged the apostles not to run out immediately in an attempt to be his witness in the power of their own abilities, but he said to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. That's in Luke 24. Wait till you've been endued with power from on high. And ever since the Holy Spirit first came upon Jesus, gathered followers in Pentecost, he has been empowering Jesus' followers as his human instruments to fulfill his ongoing ministry of testifying to Jesus around the world. It has only been by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit that the church has been able to keep on fulfilling the Great Commission through the last 2,000 years. He, the Holy Spirit, in us, bears that witness to the world through us.
So there, you have three great things that the Lord Jesus has taught us about the Holy Spirit. He's the helper of Jesus' followers, a helper just like Jesus himself, dwelling in us, the protector of the truth entrusted to them, and the witness-bearer through them of that truth to the world. Think about it, folks. If you're a believer, you are the dwelling place of God. What a marvel. But that's not all that the Lord Jesus taught us about the Holy Spirit on that remarkable evening. When we come back from the break, let's consider three more things that Jesus taught us about the Holy Spirit. I'm your guest host, Pastor Greg Allen of Bethany Bible Church, and you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm today's guest host, Pastor Greg Allen of Bethany Bible Church, and we've been talking today about our great helper in living the Christian life, the Holy Spirit. Now, in our last segment, we began considering the things that the Lord Jesus himself taught us about the Holy Spirit in his final night with his disciples during the Upper Room Discourse. That's what we find in John chapters 14 through 16. And the first three things that he taught us, which we looked at in our last segment, were that the Holy Spirit is, number one, our helper, the helper of Jesus' followers. That is, a helper like Jesus himself. Number two, that he's the protector of the truth that has been entrusted to Jesus' followers. And number three, he is the bearer of the witness of that truth to the world along with all of his followers, all of Jesus' followers. The fact that the Holy Spirit... Uh, the fact that the Lord Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would be our helper in these things shows us that we, we can't do without that help. Uh, just think of what a dark and hopeless place this world would be and how helpless we would be, how impossible our task as Jesus' witnesses would be if it weren't for this divine helper. And now in this next segment, I'd like to share with you three more things that the Lord Jesus taught about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and these are things that we've, we need very much to hear because we live in a fallen world that is often hostile to the message of Jesus Christ. And knowing these truths concerning the Spirit's ministry, taking them to heart, will give us the confidence that we need that our faithful witness in Jesus in this world will be effective. So then, the first thing that we, the Lord Jesus told us in this, in this context on that remarkable evening is that the Holy Spirit is the convictor of the world of its sin. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of its sin. We find this in John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. Uh, Jesus' disciples were understandably distressed because he told them that he was leaving them. But to comfort and inform them, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And this is very amazing. And Jesus' disciples were sad because they would not have his bodily presence with them. But he told them that it was far better for them than he left. And this was so that the Holy Spirit could come and work in them and through them. And this is, of course, what happened at Pentecost. And in saying this, our Lord explained that the Spirit would overcome one of the greatest roadblocks we can ever run into in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in this lost and fallen world, 
and that is the hardness of people's hearts. After all, how can we humble, unimpressive human beings convince the worldly, wise, and self-sufficient people around us to turn to the Savior when they don't even think they need to be saved of anything? Thankfully, it's not our job to do so. It's It's our job to simply bear witness of the crucified Savior in this world in the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction to the hearts of those who hear. Now, Jesus said this convicting aspect of the Spirit's ministry included some very specific things. He convicts the world of sin. The greatest of all sins is to refuse to believe on Jesus, whom God sent into this world to be our Savior. And it's the Holy Spirit, to, it's his ministry to convict the world of the need for the Savior and of the sin of rejecting him. The Spirit also convicts this world of righteousness so that so long as Jesus walked on this earth, he was the visible example of righteousness, right? His very life convicted sinners. And now that he's gone to the Father, the Holy Spirit is here indwelling in us, convicting the world of righteousness, the righteousness that Jesus himself displayed. And then finally, the Spirit convicts the world of judgment. Satan is the ruler of this present world order. But as active as he still may be, He has already been doomed and judged. And when we bring the proclamation of Jesus into the world, then the Holy Spirit brings an awareness to those who are aligned with the devil of the judgment to come. Now, we can't bring such conviction. Whenever we try to, I don't know if you've attempted to, but you, you find out how terrible we are at it. But the Holy Spirit can reach the most hard hearted man or hard hearted woman down to the deepest core of their inner being where nobody else is able to reach. He's able to pierce through all of the intellectual and emotional and, and moral blockades that people up, put up. He, can, uh, he alone can bring such conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment, so much so that they cry out for the saving grace that God provides through his Son. Another thing that Jesus taught us about the Holy Spirit is that he's the guide of his people in the truth. Jesus told his disciples about this in John chapter 16, verses 12 through 13, when he said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Holy Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Jesus couldn't tell his disciples everything he wanted to tell them while he was on the earth, nor could they have grasped it all if he had. But he was going to send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to the church, and the Spirit would serve as the faithful guide in those things that Jesus wanted his followers to know and proclaim. We can think of this aspect of the Spirit's ministry in a twofold way. First, there's a positive aspect of the Spirit's guiding ministry. The apostles were given the foundational teaching that Jesus wanted his church to possess, And once this foundational truth has been laid down, the Holy Spirit has guided his people throughout the centuries in studying the scriptures and applying the things that Jesus would want them to know. But here's the second, and that's that he, uh, that he might, we might call a negative aspect, and that's the Spirit protects his people from false doctrine and error. I wonder, have you ever heard a preacher on the radio or on television, or have you ever read a book or seen a website that was Christian, quote unquote, but you felt there was something not right about what you were hearing or reading. You know, the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts at such times and says, child of mine, that teaching you're hearing is not from me. Stay away from it. Just think of how lost in this world, 
lost in the fog of deceitful ideas and false doctrines we would be if it weren't for the ministry of the Holy Spirit protecting us. And there's one more thing. Jesus taught us that the Holy Spirit is the glorifier of Jesus himself. In John chapter 16, verses 14 through 15, Jesus told his disciples this about the Holy Spirit. He said, He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. And this is a wonderful thing to think about the Holy Spirit's ministry. As we're doing today, Jesus taught us much about him. Uh, he, he is God, and we should... And, and we should think about him often. We should think about the Holy Spirit. He deserves our worship, but we need to remember that in all of it, the main focus of the Holy Spirit is not upon himself. It is upon Jesus. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus and declares to us all things that the Heavenly Father has given us in him. As Jesus tells us in this passage, the first person of the Trinity, that is the Father, and let me read it to you again. Jesus said, he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Well, the first person of the Trinity, that is the Father, has given us all things through the second person. He has given all things over to the second person, that is his Son. The Father has called our attention to Jesus. And the third person, that is the Holy Spirit, takes the things that the Father has given to us Uh, given to Jesus, and reveals them to us. You see the cooperation of the three persons of the Trinity. The Father uh, gives all things to the Son. The Father calls our attention to Jesus. The third person, the Holy Spirit, takes the things that the Father has given to Jesus and reveals them to us. Just as the Father glorifies the Son in heaven, so the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son in this world. You can put it this way. Any ministry or teaching that professes to be from the Holy Spirit, but that ends up turning all the attention upon the Holy Spirit himself, frankly, has gone off kilter and is not in keeping with the true ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this is because the Holy Spirit has been sent to this earth to shine the spotlight on Jesus Christ for us and through us. Therefore, if we have truly been blessed by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, our main attention won't be on the Holy Spirit. Instead, we will join with the Holy Spirit in his ministry of glorifying Jesus in the world and worshiping God the Father through Jesus. So there's three more things that Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit's ministry. He's the convictor of sin, he's the guide of all truth, and he's the glorifier of the Savior. Now, after we take a break for news and traffic, let's get into the details about how the Holy Spirit helps us in a very personal way. I'm believing you'll find it very encouraging. I'm today's guest host, Pastor Greg Allen of Bethany Bible Church, and you are listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. Very glad to be with you today. I'm Pastor Greg Allen of Bethany Bible Church, and it's my privilege to be with you today for this second hour of the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Now, we've been talking today about a very important subject with respect to our life for Jesus Christ in this world, and that's the indispensable help we receive from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And boy, that's a big subject. Unfortunately, we, it's only possible to talk about a little, 
it would be impossible to talk about everything we could or should talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We can only touch on the very fewest of basics. But if you would like to go deeper into the things that the Bible tells us about the Holy Spirit's ministry in the life of the believer, I'd like to make an offer to you. I invite you to visit the Bethany Bible Church website. Simply go to BethanyBible.org and then go to the top of the page, look for the downloads, and when you pull that down, you'll find a link that's titled Holy Spirit Study Series. And that's where you'll find 31 individual Bible studies on the Holy Spirit in PDF form, all titled and arranged in order, and they are there for you to use. You, you, you're more than welcome to enjoy those studies for personal use or even print them out and enjoy them in a group study with others. Uh, they cover pretty much uh, most of the things that need to be covered, I think, and you'll find it very helpful. I hope that it would be a blessing to you. So go to BethanyBible.org, downloads, look for the Holy Spirit studies. Now, in the first hour, we talked about the identity of the Holy Spirit, and that's the place to begin, of course, because we need to understand who he is before we can really appreciate the greatness of what he does for us. And now in this second hour, I'd like us to consider what he does for us as believers in a personal way. And I'd like to begin with a quote. Perhaps you remember the words from the the great old classic hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. You ever feel like that? I'm so prone to wander. Those lines uh, express a frustration we feel, don't they? We all know ourselves all too well. We know that if we were left to ourselves, we wouldn't stay faithful to the Lord as we should. If it all depended upon our faithfulness to God, we'd never get to heavenly glory at all. And so the cry of that hymn writer is, O God, take this wandering, feeble, sin-prone heart of mine, and in spite of myself, secure me for heaven. Have mercy upon me. Seal me. Guarantee me by your grace for a place in your heavenly home. Well, that's going to lead us to the very important, precious ministry of the Holy Spirit towards us in Christ. The believer, God has sent the Holy Spirit to take up residence in every genuine believer and seal him or her for heavenly glory so that he or she will never be lost to the Lord Jesus, but will be absolutely guaranteed to share in eternal glory. The Bible uses a very commonplace metaphor to explain to us this thing. In the ancient times, an official contract or a deed or a bill of sale was closed and secured by a wax seal that bore the imprint of someone with authority. And that document was sealed in this way. It became kind of a guarantee set apart and secured by that seal to protect whatever was deeded in the document to the owner. It also became uh, marked as secure as the actual property of that owner. In four very important passages in the New Testament, we're told how God the Father has placed the Holy Spirit in the believer as a seal that guarantees he or she is permanent possession of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That first passage is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. There, the Holy Spirit is presented to us as the guarantee of our future glorification. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers about his own ministry to them. He talked about how he even suffered the threat of death many times in his ministry to them. But even though he suffered such threats, he was still confident. He wrote and said, Now he who has established us in you is in Christ 
and has appointed us is God who also has sealed us and given us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Paul drew confidence in this hope for full deliverance, even from death unto resurrection, by the fact that the Holy Spirit and uh, was in him. In another passage in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 4 through 5, Paul said, For we who are in this tent, that means in this body, groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So what a great thing this is, these two passages are telling us. Because of the Holy Spirit's ministry and sealing us, uh, serving as God's guarantee, we who trust in him cannot fail to be resurrected and glorified with Jesus. Now the Bible also presents the Holy Spirit to us in his sealing ministry as the identifying mark that we belong to God as his possession through Christ. You see, not only do we have something to look forward to, but God the Father has something to look forward to in us. In this third passage, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, we read this about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In him, that is in Christ, you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. It's true that the Bible teaches us that we have a rich inheritance in Christ, and the Holy Spirit serves as the guarantee of that future, but it's also true that we uh, have been purchased by God and we are his possession. The Holy Spirit is like the down payment of that possession. Now, someone might think about all this and think, well, it doesn't matter then what I do anymore if I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit and thus guaranteed for eternal glory, then it w- wouldn't that provoke me to live a reckless life? It doesn't matter what I do anymore. But in a fourth passage, we see that the Holy Spirit's sealing ministry upon us becomes our motivation to put off sin. In the fourth chapter of Ephesians, in a very practical portion of the letter, Paul talked about putting off the old man of sin and putting on the new man in Christ. And among other things, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 30, he said, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for the necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. And not and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us sets us apart for that great day of glorification. And we are to behave now in these bodies, right now, like what the seal of the Holy Spirit upon us guarantees that we will one day be. To do otherwise would grieve the heart of the one who seals us for that future glory. The Apostle John talked about that, and he said, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know when when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And he says, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So then, That's what the seal of the Holy Spirit upon us means. It means the sure and certain guarantee that we will one day be glorified with Jesus. He's the identifying mark that sets us apart as belonging to God through Jesus. And his presence in us motivates us to put off the sins of the past and press on to be like what we will be in the future. Now, after the break, let's talk some more about what the Holy Spirit does for us personally. I'm Pastor Greg Allen, and you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm today's guest host, Pastor Greg Allen of Bethany Bible Church, and we've been talking today about our great helper in living the Christian life. That's the Holy Spirit. And specifically, we've been talking about some of the things that the Bible teaches us the Holy Spirit does for the believer in a personal way. Now, in our last segment, we talked about how the Holy Spirit seals the follower of Jesus for eternal glory, guarantees them. We pointed out this guarantee doesn't make us want to live carelessly as if it didn't matter how we lived or what we did. Quite the opposite. The presence of the Holy Spirit in us as the seal for future glory motivates us greatly to live now like what we are destined to be in glory. But how can we do this? How can we in our own power ever hope to live up to the high standard of living like Jesus Christ? How can we live the kind of life that is worthy of the destiny that the Holy Spirit guarantees us too? Well, that leads us to another personal blessing we receive from the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives as we submit willingly to his prevailing and pervasive influence over us, the Holy Spirit himself dwells in us to live out the life of Jesus in and through us. He produces the qualities of Jesus in our lives. We find a lot about this in Galatians chapter 5 in what we often call the fruit of the Spirit passage. Now, what the Apostle Paul tells us in this passage is that even after we have believed on the Lord Jesus as our Savior, even after we've been born again, we still battle against the old patterns and sinful habits of our life before Jesus. That's probably not big news to you. Uh, Our spirits have been, it's not news to me either, our spirits have been renewed in Christ and we are brand new creatures in him, but we still live in this body that is, you might say, habituated to the old ways of life. Paul calls them the works of the flesh, that is, the old principles of our sinful inclinations that are in opposition to Christ. The commandments of God tell us what to do and what's right and what's not right and how to avoid wrong and do right. But back then in our former life, while we were still operating in the inward principle of the old self, we were always sinfully prone to ignore what was right and to do what was wrong. And we still feel that struggle. But in Galatians chapter 5, Paul wrote that, Now that we have been born again, we have a completely new inward operating system. The Holy Spirit is taking up residence in us, and he now abides in us to live the life of Jesus in and through us. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, I say, walk, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, to walk in this sense means to carry out your daily life in the prevailing influence of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And as we walk in dependence upon him, praying, asking his help in every situation, he leads us away from those old patterns of the fleshly life and toward obedience to God. Now, what are those old fleshly patterns? In verses 19 through 21, Paul writes this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I told you before, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's quite a list. And these things are the very opposite of the character of Jesus Christ. They are lifestyle practices that would keep someone out of heaven. 
They're all condemned by God's law. But in contrast, Paul says this. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So if we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will not only not break God's commandments, but we will actually be walking in a way that's in keeping with the law. We'll be walking like Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will never lead us contrary to the holy standards of God in his commandments or against the nature of Jesus. Now, to understand this list of the fruit of the Spirit, uh, let's understand something. This is not meant to be understood as nine different fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Rather, we're being told about one single fruit with nine specific qualities. The Holy Spirit doesn't produce love in us this week and then you know, joy the next week as a separate thing, and then the week after that we'll work on peace, or as if they're all separate things. When he produces the fruit of the Lord Jesus in us, he's producing one fruit in us, one that possesses all of these nine different qualities at once, all in perfect harmony with one another, because they're all one single fruit of the life of Jesus being lived in us. And just think of how all these different qualities give us a complete picture of the character of Jesus himself. They describe nothing less to us than the perfect portrait of Jesus. You know, you could read this passage, the fruit of the Spirit, and just ponder Jesus through them. Think about the quality of love, for example. Our Savior Jesus, as he walked on this earth, displayed perfect love to us by giving himself for us on the cross. And before he died for us, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's John 14. John, excuse me, John 13. A life of walking in the Spirit is a life in which he produces Jesus' own love in and through us. Or think of the quality of joy. Jesus himself experienced and displayed perfect joy. Before he died for us, he he said to his apostles, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The Holy Spirit produces that joy in us, the very joy of Jesus. Or think of the quality of peace. You know, nobody labored harder or suffered more than our Lord on this earth, and yet he experienced perfect peace. Before he died for us, he told his disciples in John chapter 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And that's what the Holy Spirit produces in us, Jesus' own peace. Or think of the quality of patience. Who doesn't need the fruit of patience, right? Well, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, the Bible entrusts us to, quote, the patience of Christ. Or think of the quality of kindness. The Bible reminds us that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, that the rich about the riches of the God's kindness toward us in Christ. Or think about the quality of goodness. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, some of you love this verse, the Bible encourages us that the good work that God has begun in us will find its completion in the day of Christ, he who began that good work in you. It's about Christ. Perfect patience, perfect kindness, perfect goodness. We're all characters of our Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit produces these qualities of Jesus in us in an ongoing way as we walk with him. Or think about faithfulness. The Bible 
in Revelation 19.11 presents Jesus as the one who is the faithful and true one. And the Holy Spirit helps us to be faithful like Jesus. Or meekness. Meekness is not weakness, you know. (laughs) Meekness is power brought unto humble service of others. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, we're told that Jesus was so meek that even though in the form of God he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. No one in this world was ever more truly meek than Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit lives in us to produce that kind of meekness in our own daily walk. And think finally of the quality of self-control. Do you need self-control? We don't see much self-control anymore. Jesus, as he walked on this earth, displayed perfect self-control. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us in verse 2 that he displayed self-control in that he, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. And in the midst of his anguish in the garden, he didn't run away. But he prayed to the Father and said, Your will be done. The Holy Spirit produces Jesus' own self-control in us. Hey, you know, think of a glove. You know, a glove, just think of a glove, put it on a piano. Uh, A glove can't play the piano. It has to have the master's hand slip inside and play the piano through it. And we can't live the life of Jesus unless we let the Holy Spirit indwell us and live us and live the life of Jesus through us. For to us, to allow the Holy Spirit to display his fruit in us then is to simply allow him to live the life of Jesus through us. And that means that whatever we need of these qualities, we have an unlimited supply of them through the Holy Spirit who produces them in us. If we allow the Spirit to live the life of Jesus in us and through us, as Paul said in Galatians chapter 5 at the end, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, when we come back from the break, let's consider some more of the blessings that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm today's guest host, Pastor Greg Allen of Bethany Bible Church. We've been talking about our great helper in living the Christian life, the Holy Spirit, and specifically about some of the things that the Holy Spirit does personally for the believer. Now, I need to tell you that in choosing to share with you today about this particular topic, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I've had a motive. I've actually had a couple of motives. Uh, certainly one of them is because I wanted to encourage you, my dear brother or sister, as you live for Jesus in these dark and difficult times, that you have a glorious divine helper. The Holy Spirit enables you and empowers you to live that life with victory, and I sincerely want us to be encouraged together in that. But another motive has to do with the dark times in which we live. My sincere conviction is that these are unusually dark times in the history of our nation. I don't know if we can say they're the darkest times we've ever had, but uh, we, we are certainly very deep in the deep weeds right now. And I don't believe that the remedy for all of it is found in any human resource. Politics can't cure our ills. Education can't do it. Economic reform can't do it. And I think a lot of people are beginning to realize science can't do it. The only real remedy would be a complete spiritual transformation, another great awakening, another great evangelical revival. And for that reason, in spite of all the terrible troubles we're having right now, I have hope. 
Did you know that historically speaking, there have been six occasions in our nation's history in which our nation was turned around and remarkably transformed by revival? Think about it. There was the Great Awakening before the American Revolution. There was the Second Great Awakening in the late 1700s. There was the layman's prayer movement in the 1860s, around the time of the uh, Civil War. There was the global revival of 1905, about the time of World War I. The mid-century resurgence in the 1940s, around the time of World War II. That's when Billy Graham really began to come to the fore. There was the Jesus movement in the 1970s, amidst all the turmoil of this of that period of time. In response to the faithful prayers of God's people, God has poured out his Holy Spirit during desperate times, gave tremendous success to the preaching of the gospel, brought many people to salvation through faith in Jesus, and thus transformed the nation for a generation. And so I am especially motivated to share with you today about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit helps his people to bear witness to Jesus Christ in their world in the times in which they live. You know, earlier we talked about how the Holy Spirit brings conviction to the hearts of the unbelieving people of this world, helping them to see their need for a Savior. But in the hardness of human hearts, uh, that's not the only problem. Dealing with the hardness of sinners' hearts isn't our only problem. We ourselves as believers are hindered by our own personal inability and frailness and weakness and bearing an effective witness for Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit helps us. He is, in fact, the essential power source of our witness for Christ. You know, a key scripture passage for this is the one that tells us the promise that our Lord Jesus made to his disciples after he was raised from the dead, just before he ascended to the Father. In Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 48, the Lord Jesus told them that the message of the gospel they would be preaching, uh, told them about that message and said, Thus it is written, and thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to be raised from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are the witness of these things. But he warned them. He warned his apostles at that time that they were not simply to run out and go out the door and declare the gospel to everybody right then and there as if they were to do it in their own power. He told them in verse 49, Luke twenty-four forty-nine. he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And think of that, power from on high. We're told in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that the the nature of this promise is this power from on high was uh, was the Holy Spirit. He He said to them, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus taught the apostles that their witness for him would be effective only after the Holy Spirit had come upon them and that they were to wait for the Spirit to come and empower them for that great task. Now, we live in a time after the promise of the Holy Spirit has been given. The Holy Spirit came long ago at Pentecost, and he now indwells every genuine believer redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But the basic principle that our Lord stressed is one that still applies to us. Just think, if the Holy Spirit, or if the apostles were personally trained by the Lord Jesus for three and a half years, they were personally with him for three and a half years, they could not effectively witness for him apart from the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. How could we? The proof of the greatness of this aspect of the Spirit's enabling power is shown to us in at least three ways, or at least two ways. 
It's shown first in the remarkable difference that, that occurred in the boldness of the, the disciples after the Spirit came on Pentecost. You remember that? The Apostle Peter, why, he couldn't hardly talk to anybody. He, was, he denied the Lord Jesus. He denied Jesus in front of a little girl. But then after the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, he began to effectively preach the gospel. Peter, the very one who formerly denied the Lord, became the boldest preacher of all. 3,000 people on that one day, by the way, including many of those who had formerly crucified the Lord, believed and became followers of Jesus after Peter's sermon in the power of the Holy Spirit. Truly, they did indeed receive power after the Holy Spirit came upon them. And a second proof is the enabling power is shown to us in how far that gospel has reached after the Spirit came. Jesus, you'll remember, not only told the apostles when they would be witnesses, but where. He told them that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, it's not you can be, but you shall be. And as we read the story of the book of Acts, we see the expansion of the gospel from Jerusalem the city where it started, to Judea and Samaria and the neighboring regions, to the remotest part of the earth. And by the way, have you ever thought about how we living in the Pacific Northwest, sharing about these things right now on the radio in Portland, Oregon, are living proof of the greatness of the Spirit's ministry in enabling his people to bear witness of Jesus Christ all around the world. Jesus said in Jerusalem that his gospel would be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. And if you look on the globe, you'll find We're living on the far side of the planet from Jerusalem. Only the Holy Spirit could make the gospel so powerful as to reach all the way from there to where we are today. What power? And the same Holy Spirit who made that happen, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, has also taken up residence in you and me. Apart from this Holy Spirit's help, we could not be witness bearers for Jesus. But with the powerful help of the Spirit, you can be a powerful instrument in his hand of changing the world with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ right where you are. So I'm no longer putting much hope in human effort and human reforms to ever turn our nation around, but I have great confidence in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to do so. It has transformed the nation several times before. It can do it again in our time, but not without the enabling power of his Holy Spirit working in and through us. All of those great revivals we talked about, those were works of the Holy Spirit. Let us allow the Holy Spirit, our resident, indwelling, divine friend and helper, God dwelling in us, to use us to declare the good news of Jesus Christ in our time, in whatever ways we can and in whatever situation of life he has placed us in. As Jesus promised his apostles in John chapter 15, verse 26 and 27, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit who, of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will, glor- he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, how can we allow the Holy Spirit to have more of our lives? How can we make ourselves available to him for his use in this world? Let's talk about that in our closing segment right after this break. I'm today's guest host, Pastor Greg Allen of Bethany Bible Church, and you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. I'm today's guest host, Pastor Greg Allen of Bethany Bible Church, and thank you very much for listening. Uh, we've been talking uh, about the Holy Spirit, taking a very basic look at the ministry of our divine helper in the Christian life. And we've looked together in the first hour at who he is. Uh, he is a person. He is the divine. He is God, the Holy Spirit. And we've been looking in the second hour of how he helps us as genuine believers in our following of Jesus Christ. And in this closing segment, I'd like for us to consider how we can allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives in a personal way. This is where we get very personal. I hope you'll let me be your pastor here for a few minutes. Now, when I think about this this whole topic about the Holy Spirit's work in our personal life, I think about a story that was told about the famous evangelist Dwight L. Moody. hope you've heard of D.L. Moody before. A little more than a century and a half ago, D.L. Moody was being used mightily by God to bring the gospel to millions of people. And early in his ministry, he was in England, and he heard an evangelist named Henry Varley. And according to Mr. Mooney, Moody, uh, Henry Varley told him something. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do through a man who is totally yielded to him. The world has yet to see what God can do through a man who is totally yielded to him. Mr. Moody said, by God's grace, I will be that man. And as a result, God used D.L. Moody to change the world in his time. And our God is the same today. Through the indwelling Holy Spirit, our God can do more through one man or one woman who is 100% surrendered to his prevailing influence than he can do through 10,000 men and women who are only partially surrendered to him. So, how can we then become surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit? I'd like to talk with you about a few ideas of that. The first thing that I'd want to tell you is to make absolutely sure, absolutely sure that you have a relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. Make sure that you have come to the place in your life in which you have recognized that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that you have placed your faith in what Jesus has done on the cross to pay for our sin. As Jesus himself put it in John chapter 3, verse 7, you must be born again. The reason that this first step is so essential is because the Holy Spirit only abides in those who have placed their faith in Jesus and are born again. The Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, and he said, But you are not of the flesh, but of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. In other words, you can do the math there. If you have the Holy Spirit, you are a Christian. If you are not a Christian, you don't have the Holy Spirit. One way to define what it means to be a Christian, then, is A Christian is a born-again man or woman in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. So, make absolutely sure that you are born again. Make absolutely certain that you are saved by faith in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for your sins. Have you done that? Now, no genuine believer ever has to pray and ask that the Holy Spirit will take up residence in them. He doesn't, he or she doesn't have to he or she doesn't have to work hard to become worthy 
of the Holy Spirit living in them. And you'd never make yourself worthy of that anyway. If you are saved by faith in Jesus, then he already indwells you. You don't, and, and another thing, you don't have to pray to have more of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we mistakenly do that. Oh, give me more of the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit is a whole person. And when he indwells someone, the whole of his person dwells in them. But we have to be careful that we don't hinder his work in and through us because of sin that we have allowed into our lives. This is another thing I would encourage you to think about. Make sure that you have repented of all known sin. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 30, we mentioned this verse before. The Apostle Paul wrote and said, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And then he said this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, sin in our life can grieve the Holy Spirit. (laughs) To grieve him means to break his heart. In another place in the Bible, we're told that we can quench the Holy Spirit. I take this to mean that the Holy Spirit can be abiding in us and wanting to work in and through us, but that something that the Holy Spirit wishes to do in our lives can be pinched out and extinguished, just like the, the wick on a candle, by sin that we keep hold of in our lives. So I would ask you, Do you have any unconfessed sin in your life, any sinful habit in your life, or any any relationship that you're holding on to, or any secret sin that you hide from others? That's not a question that I or anyone else can answer for you. That's something that you and and the Holy Spirit living in you can answer, because he puts the finger on things, doesn't he? Anything that the Holy Spirit is telling you that you must confess and get rid of in your life, Well, you're grieving the Holy Spirit and you're quenching his work in you and what he wishes to do through you if you keep a hold of that sin. And so I urge you, confess that sin and let him take it from you. He will if you ask him and keep asking him. And then he can work in and through you unhindered. A third thing I would suggest to you is that you then yield yourself completely to him. The way that the Bible speaks of this is that we become filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit simply means that we yield ourselves to him in a prevailing and pervasive way, that we ask his help and guidance and power in all that we do in everyday life. You don't have to be mysterious about this. You remember the Bible sometimes says that somebody was filled with fear or they were filled with anger. That simply means letting the Holy Spirit control you and and lead you in a prevailing and pervasive way. The way that the Apostle Paul wrote about this is in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. He said it in an interesting way. He said, Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And that's quite an analogy. When you think of someone as drunk with wine, we say that they are under the influence, right? Well, instead of a substance or a chemical, let yourself be completely under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We're not told to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. We're simply, he already wants to. Instead, we're commanded, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Simply yield yourself to him. I would suggest a great way to do that. The way I've learned to do that in practice is through prayer. 
at each turn, in each event, at each circumstance of life, at each challenge, I stop and I yield myself to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, you indwell me, empower me to live the life of Jesus in this situation. Let Jesus be lived in and through me. And there's one more thing I would add to all of that. Make sure that you're regularly reading from the Bible. You know, we're not asked to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit on the basis of our own feelings or to be led around in a subjective way. Rather, we're being given an objective, reliable guide in respect to what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. In practice, it means obeying the instructions of the Scripture. You know, it's interesting that in the same kind of way that the Apostle Paul talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit, he also spoke about being indwelt by the Scriptures. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, he wrote, Let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. If you want to know how the Holy Spirit leads in your life, then keep yourself in the Bible, because that's how he leads us. So those are the things that I would recommend to you. Uh, First of all, make sure that you are in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Confess all known sin. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Yield yourself to him and make sure you're in the Bible. That's how you let the Holy Spirit influence your life. Well, our time is up. I've got to tell you that this has been a great privilege. Uh, Every time I come here, I always feel very much welcomed and very much at home. The folks here are just great to me. I want to say a special word of thanks to Sam Maupin, who has been walking me through this interesting journey with little hand gestures. Thank you to James Blend for inviting me to be here today. Thank you for Georgine Rice for entrusting her microphone to me. And thank you very much for listening to The Georgine Rice Show. God bless you. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>